0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Heartlands here on Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill. Yes, folks, we are on Heartlands. I know we started with Willie Nelson and the highwaymen being on the road again. And the reason that I have this on the road again is that's exactly where our psalm takes us today in Psalm 123. Another one of the songs of ascent, another one of the travelling songs from the book of Psalms that was used as the people went and made their way to Jerusalem to go and worship the Lord and we shall look into it in some more detail as we go through the program. Later on Pastor Chris Stoll will be joining us again checking out who the person of Jesus Christ is looking at, the real Jesus, as recorded in the scripture, the Bible. But first to get things going and get things rolling and get us on that road again, here is indeed that psalm from the Songs of Ascent. Psalm 123, read to us by Charlies. We're reading from Psalms 123. I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven, as the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress. So our eyes
1: look to the Lord our God, till he shows us his mercy. Have mercy
0: on us, Lord, have mercy on us, for we have endured no end of contempt. We have endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant, of contempt from the proud. So let's dig into Psalm 123. Well, the first thing that we need to make comment on in regard to the psalm is the overall content of the psalm. As this psalm is written in a way that would jar with most of us who have grown up in a democratic society where we consider ourselves to be a free people. And the psalm is where a comparison is made by the author of how it was that the people should or were looking at God And that is that they were looking at God in the same way as a slave looks to a slave owner or their earthly master. Now, the first thing to notice is that that is not how God goes and looks at us. In fact, God is someone who wants to have a relationship with us. God is someone who wants to know you as his son and daughter and he to be your father and you to know him as a father, a father who loves and cares and cherishes for you. And so that imagery in this psalm is something, as I said, that doesn't sit comfortably with us. And again, the other thing is that the Lord is not someone who actually goes and encourages slavery or encourages slave trade, and nor does the Bible. In fact, the Bible actually very clearly goes and teaches that in Christ, all are equal, whether slave or free, whether Jew or Gentile, whether man or woman. In God's eyes, we are equal. And so, for us in a democratic society that is based on the Christian values that we have grown up with, when we consider this Sam, um, the language here should not and will not sit comfortably with us. And it's important for us to note that before we begin. So why was this language used? Well, the reason that this language was used was that This group of psalms, these songs of ascent, these traveling songs, this hymn book that was used as the people journeyed to go and worship the Lord in the temple, were the hymns of the returning exiles to Israel. They were the hymns that were used by pilgrims then in later years. And so it comes from a mindset that those exiles had. And those exiles, We're very familiar with the concept of slavery, but not from the viewpoint of being the slave owner. No, but actually from the viewpoint of being the slave. And so that's important when we consider this psalm, that we view it from its proper viewpoint. And that is the viewpoint and the understanding of the psalmist's experience as a slave. It isn't rhetoric, it isn't imagery, it isn't poetry, It is actually born out of the harsh reality that these exiles had suffered. And they knew what it was to have their life held in the hand or the balance of another. So when we consider the psalm, it is important to have that context at the forefront of our minds. So, when we look at verse 1 of Psalm 123, it goes and states, I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sits enthroned in heaven. And then there's a full stop. I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sits enthroned in heaven. And so, what we have is we have that revelation of God's position. And indeed, when we go and use from the New Testament, What we now call the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer is that not the very first lines that we go and say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Psalm 121, the psalmist is encouraging the pilgrims to raise their gaze to the Lord. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so our focus is placed squarely on the Lord and the position and who he is. So let me ask you a question. Where do you look for help? Does it take you straight to the place of seeking the Lord? Are you someone and you raise your eyes to heaven? Do you look to the maker of heaven and earth? The one who is enthroned in heaven? The Almighty Jehovah Adonai? Or does your search for help take you everywhere else first? That is a question we all need to go and ask ourselves, isn't it? How quickly do we go and look to the Lord? And in what context is our heart? And that's where I think that this psalm, Psalm 123, is of interest.
2: Midlands 103.
0: Welcome back to Heartlands here in Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill, where we're looking at Psalm 123. And we have noted first up that the focus is on the Lord. But then the psalmist, as we've already mentioned, goes and comes out with this in verse 2. As the eyes of the slave look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave looks to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. And so the picture that the psalmist is displaying to us is that very picture that was the reality for so many exiles, that they were looking to god for mercy in the same way as they would go and look to their slave owner for mercy now that is a sad picture on the one side of things because that is not how we should be looking at god but the other side of it is it goes to show the dedication and devotion to the way that they were looking to god as a slave would look to their slave owner they would be watching they would go and understand exactly the moods, the tics, the facial readings and expressions that they would see in their slave master. And as a result of that studied look at that person, they would know whether they were going to receive mercy or not. Well, the reality is this, that God is merciful. God is gracious. And as a result, there would not be no need for them to be looking at God in that same light. But then again, they knew the reason that they were in exile was because they had disobeyed God. They knew that they had been taken from the promised land because they had not walked in God's ways. And so they knew that the punishment that they had been receiving of being uprooted and displaced in a foreign place was due to their lack of of belief now that is an interesting concept that we have to consider also that here they are looking to their now new slave masters and they see it in the same way as how they're looking to god looking to see if there is any sign of god being merciful or gracious and yet yet we know that god is merciful great is thy faithfulness Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And so, for the survival of a person as a slave, they had to look to their slave master for everything, including the very food that they were going to have to sustain themselves to be able to actually work. They couldn't earn anything off their own right. They were completely dependent Upon their slave master, and this is the picture that the psalmist is going in challenging us with: Are we people who are completely dependent, who wait upon the Lord, looking to Him, as the eyes of a slave looks to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave looks to the hand of their mistress? So, our eyes look to the Lord, our God, until He shows His mercy. Do you know the mercy of God in your life? Do you know the goodness of God in your life? Do you know God's graciousness to you? Do you know God's faithfulness to you? These are all questions that can be floating and toying in our minds, and yet here we have it, that they were gazing upon him, gazing upon the Lord until they knew That they had his mercy. Then is the prayer. Have mercy on us Lord. Have mercy on us. For we have endured no end of contempt. We have endured no end of ridicule. From the arrogant. Or contempt from the proud. How are you in your walk with the Lord? Do you feel taunted by people? That your faith is stupid? Meaningless? That God isn't there anywhere. And it is then as a result the cry of your heart. Have mercy. Lord have mercy on us. And of course the great news is. That the Lord has been merciful to us. The Lord has been gracious to us. The Lord has been faithful to us. And all of that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. But the only way that we can experience that is by having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so my prayer is that all of us, including me, will either one, enter into a deep and personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ through his death on the cross, or two, that we will just, if we're already there, that our relationship will just get deeper and our understanding of who God is become all the richer. From having spent time with him. I was speaking with a friend. And we were catching up after a number of years. And I just went and I said. The adventure that I have been on. With God. If you had told me. When he had met me in Heffernan Tyres. What was ahead. I would not have believed him. Such is the excitement. That you can have in your life. Just in following the Lord. I'm just going to throw that out as a challenge to you. Don't write Jesus off. Check him out. C.S. Lewis went and said that he is one of three things: he either is a liar, he is a lunatic, or he is indeed Lord. Let me ask you a question: Who is he for you today?
2: Midlands one eight three.
0: Welcome back to Heartlands here on Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill. Well, now, folks, it's time for a cup on tea. And I just want to go and give you a little bit of background to why we're having this old cup on tea. I was out and about and a statement caught my eye. And needless to say, that fired the old brain and left me wondering what way would I like the world to be? And when we consider the state of what the world is and how it is at this present moment, I think it's a valid question to ask. But what way would you like the world to be? Do you have a view? Do you have no view at all? Are you someone who's actively involved or someone who's an ostrich with your head stuck in the sand? Who knows? Well, anyway, for that reason and that reason alone, it was time to fire up the old cattle during the week and have an uncoupante and a conversation about it. And here is that on cuponte Welcome to Uncle Oh, last night I was there walking hither and thither across the face of the earth and I went to an establishment and in that establishment there was a statement on the wall by Gandhi. And it went and said this. It said, be the person you want the world to be. Now on the face of it, that's a great statement, isn't it? Be the person you want the world to be. In other words, don't be a hypocrite. If you want to see the world being whatever that is then be that person but that is the issue isn't it what is it that gandhi actually wanted the world to be like what was his picture of the world and that's what god goes and says if you want the world to be like this you know be that person but that goes and brings about the question what way do you want to see the world Mm -hmm. apparently when i was in india and visiting gandhi isn't quite the hero that we think he is And many people from the different various backgrounds in society were conversing with me because I was asking them what did Gandhi mean to them because I went to visit the museum there. And there were those from a Muslim background who were not very pleased with Gandhi because of his pro-Hindu ways and in fact that he went and displaced them and put them out of the country. In fact it was he who was the one who wanted to just kind of push everybody up to the north and hence Pakistan came about. Or at least, that's the simplistic understanding of those geopolitics. The other part of it, though, was that the Christians were going, mm, well, he wasn't really the non-violent person that the West seems to think he is. There's actually another side to the man. And they were going, you know, we need to look at him and look at his character of who he truly was. I thought that was very interesting. But then, when I was chatting with the Hindus themselves, they were going, well especially the more liberal Hindus they were going in regard to Hinduism he really was someone who enforced the caste system and thus kept a lot of people subjected in poverty in India and I thought these are very interesting statements that are being made and so what really was the world that Gandhi wanted that's the question I don't know the answer nor am I going to go and presuppose what that answer is but I'm sure there is an answer of exactly what that world is. But that got my brain, my brain thinking. So it did. And here's what got me going and thinking about it was this. Paul went and goes and says, you know what? Follow my example as I follow Christ. And I've spoken about this before. But you see, what I like about that statement is Gandhi is saying, be the person you want the world to be. But the question is, what's our vision of the world? Paul goes and says, follow my example As I follow Christ and so what he's saying is discern discern from my life what it is that I am doing that is actually following Christ and follow that example but the stuff that I am doing that is not of Christ and is not following him don't do that how can I say that well he's the very one who went and said himself I do the things that I do not want to do and the things that I want to do I do not do and all this sort of stuff right and so the point I'm making is this Paul goes and says look I'm setting myself up here for you as an example. As I follow Christ, only look at that part. The other stuff, don't do that. Now that gets me thinking, mm. So what sort of world then did Paul want? Because here's the truth. We all want to go and shape the world. That's it. So what sort of world do you want? And the Christian for the two millennia that have been on the planet have all been trying to also shape the world. And yes, true, they have been using, as best they know how, Gandhi's method to be the person that they want the world to be. But how do we do that? That is the question, is it not? So Paul tells us to follow Christ's example. But what about Mary, the mother of Jesus? What did she go say? She went and said, do whatever he tells you. Uh Aha. So that's what we have to do. We have to do whatever Jesus tells us. And is that not what Paul was trying to do with his life? Follow Christ's example. What is that then? Where does that take us in regard to shaping the world? Oh, that's right. That's right. That takes us back to the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus goes and says what we ought to do is that we ought to go and love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength and to love our neighbour as ourselves. Now, we like to major in on the second one because we go and say, well, that just gives us a, a reason to just, you know, wipe every sin under the carpet and just pretend it doesn't we just love people for who they are we love that's not what we're talking about we're talking about the transformation of the world one person at a time how by our example how as a way that we go and do what jesus tells us to do how by understanding what it is that jesus went and said and jesus went and said that we are to love the lord of god with all our heart mind soul and strength and to love our as ourselves and you know what the problem is with that statement that statement got jesus christ killed because he lived that out that's what he did and you know what because he was someone who did what was good and honoring and pleasing to god and gave god glory yeah do you know what happened they killed him for it and you know what has been happening ever since that's right they kill christians for the way they're really the ones that are dedicated to following christ For the way that they go and live their lives. Isn't that not what happened to the apostles? Is that not what happened to Paul? Absolutely. Is that what has happened to Christians down through subsequent generations since? Yes. And so there is the challenge. Okay. So the vision is this. Live out your life in a way that you want the world to be. But what is it the way that we want the world to be? That's the question. For you and me, if we are followers of Christ, that is that it will be like the way that God intended it to be, but here is a challenge: What way does God intend that world to be? Yes, He intends that that world would be a world where we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. But do you know what? Look at the statistics of two thousand and twenty two for the Republic of Ireland, and what do you discover in this latest census? Oh that's right, as a friend went and sent to me, very encouraging. Huh. sarcasm was noted but the thing that they're saying is that religion has diminished there is over 40 percent of the population in ireland now going and claim to have no faith now i would question that to be quite honest but my point is this it looks like as christians we're not doing a great job is it in transforming the world into the way that christ would want us to have it We're not loving our neighbor as ourselves, but maybe more importantly, we're not loving the Lord or God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. So here's the thing. Have we, as a result, inherited a world that is what it is today because we have not been the person that we would like the world to be? So I've gone full circle here. I want to leave you with that thought. What way do you really want the world to be? And then how is it? that you are living out that? What example are you giving? Can you say what Paul, follow my example as I follow Christ? Can you say that you're someone who goes and listens to what Mary went and said and you went and did whatever Jesus tells you? Are you someone who even knows what Jesus is saying? They are tough questions for us today, but questions that nonetheless we should go and think about and answer because maybe after all, the world that we have is the world that we've actually shaped it to be. Think about it. Well, folks, that's it from me. Up next is Pastor Crystal from Tullamore Bible Church sharing with us his findings in regard to discovering the real Jesus.
1: Well, a very good morning to you once again. This is Pastor Chris from Tullamore Bible Church, and I'm so glad you've joined us again as we continue to look at this series we've entitled Real Jesus, where we try to remove misconceptions about Christ and rediscover who He really is from God's Word, the Bible. What does God expect of you? This is perhaps the most important question you will ever consider because it will have an eternal impact upon your life. And like most people's understanding about Jesus, there's a lot of misconceptions floating around out there about what God expects from you. There's a lot of different people that would have a lot of different answers to that question, but if we want the right answer, the real answer, we'd have to ask God himself, right? The last time we were together, that's exactly what we did. We looked at the very words of God the Son himself, Jesus Christ, as he was teaching his followers about what he expects us to do with his words. As we looked at Jesus' parable of the sower from the Gospel of Mark chapter 4, it became very clear that, in the mind of God anyway, the most important thing to God in your life is what you do with his words. As Jesus is teaching, like Uh, good teachers often do, he uses an illustration to help people understand his point. In this illustration, a farmer goes out to spread seed, and the seed falls on four different kinds of ground. There's the hardened path, there's rocky ground, there's thorny ground, and then there's the good ground. And Jesus says that these four kinds of different ground represent four different kinds of people, and he categorizes them by their response to his word. And the same seed, which is the word of God, has completely different experiences depending upon the ground it falls on. The seed that falls on the hardened path just sits on top, and it's not long before it's taken away by the birds. The seed that lands on rocky ground starts to sprout, but the ground is so full of rocks that it just can't take root. The seed that falls among thorns starts to take root, but the weeds eventually choke it out, and so it never bears any fruit. But some of the seed falls on good ground, and and that grows, and it's very fruitful. Now, we're going to look in detail at these four different categories of people, and as we do, it would be in your best interest to do a bit of reflection and ask yourself, what kind of hearer am I? How do I respond to the Bible, the Word of God? And Jesus begins his explanation in verse number 14. He says, the farmer sows the word. Now, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Okay, now, the dirt on this path had been trodden down over time and hardened. The soil was so set in its ways that it wouldn't even let the seed in. You know, there is a real danger in being so set in your ways that the word of God doesn't even get a hearing in your life. This is the disinterested hearer. This person's already made up their mind about God, and he effectively has no interest in what God has to say. Then you might say, how do I know if this is me? Well, if the Word of God does not play a regular role in your life, that is, you're reading it, listening to it, allowing it to transform you, it uh, has a dynamic part to play in your life, If that's not the case, then there's a pretty good chance that without realizing it, you've become a bit like the hardened path. In verse number 16, he explains another kind of hearer here. He says, Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. All right. Now this guy, he hears the word of God. He might read it. Uh, he might hear some Bible teaching. He might get excited about some of what he hears. He has a curiosity about the word of God anyway. But then when things get difficult, or he realizes that perhaps following God's word might actually cost him something, he puts it out of his head. Now, we might call this the fair weather hearer. This is the person that is interested in God's word when it suits them, but they back off when it doesn't. Now, they'll give as much attention to God as they need to in order to feel good about themselves, but they're interested in a God-centered life so long as it's a comfortable life. Now, could this be you? Do you want to follow God, but the idea of what it might cost you holds you back? And then verse 18, Jesus goes on. He says, still others like seed sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life The deceitfulness of wealth and desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now, this person hears the word of God as well, but there are other things in their life, other voices, if you will, that they listen to over the word of God. We might call this person the distracted hearer. Now, Jesus mentions three things specifically that drown out the word of God in the hearts of these people. And and briefly, we'll explain what these are. First of all, he mentions the worries of this life. These are cares and concerns or, or thoughts of what if that drown out the word of God in your heart. Now, you know, these what if thoughts can actually be very distracting. Um, They are the source of a lot of anxiety, and the nature of anxiety is that it tends to choke out everything else. It can be worries about what might happen if you actually go against the grain, so to speak, and follow God. You know, you might think, what will other people think if I follow God? What, What if God calls me to do something different than I want to do? Or it could just be the cares and concerns of this life in general, you know, the economy, political situation, job, kids, uh, opinions of others, things like this. And, And these things can consume our thoughts. In fact, so many people spend so much time worried about the here and now that they don't give any thought to their eternal state. Now, that is an absolute tragedy. These worries can choke out our ability to think clearly and they definitely choke out our ability to let the Word of God take root in our heart. Well, then he mentions the deceitfulness of wealth. You know, wealth is very deceitful. That means that uh, this word deceitful has the idea of that which gives a false impression, uh, a delusion. And that really is the nature of wealth, isn't it? Remember in Mark chapter 10, there was the rich young ruler that decided he wasn't going to follow Jesus because he loved his wealth more. Uh, In 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, the apostle Paul writes to Timothy, that uh, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and to many foolish and harmful desires which drown men in destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Wealth can certainly be distracting. The third thing that Jesus mentions is the desires for other things. Now, these are really just longings for anything other than the will of God. These desires for other things. You know what can choke out the Word of God in our heart? Being consumed with our own desires, wanting things that are outside of God's will. This is the heart that is so consumed with their own desires that they really have little to no interest in what God's desires are for them. This is the person that's distracted by other desires. In verse 20, Jesus mentions the good ground. He says, Others like seed sown on good soil, hear the word of God, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what is sown. You know, this word accept means to receive. It's the person who says, yes, this is for me. That's the response to the word of God. Now, what's notable about this person is that there is nothing between hearing and accepting. There's no consideration about whether or not God knows what he's talking about or whether or not God's word really applies to them? No, not at all. What's notable about this person is their attitude towards the word of God. They hold it in reverence far above their own opinions, their own prejudices, and their own ideals. See, in each of the different kinds of bad ground that Jesus spoke of here. The common denominator is that there is something that is held in reverence above the word of God. In the wayside, their own ideas are held above the word of God. In the stony ground, they hold their fears and their feelings above the word of God. The thorny ground, they hold their own desires above the word of God. And do you know what the key to being good ground is? It's to reverse each of those things. In other words, you you might say, hey, you know, I might have my own ideas, but I'm willing to let the word of God change my ideas. You might say, hey, you know what? I have feelings. I have fears. Everybody does. But I'm willing to let the word of God instruct my feelings and my fears. You might say, hey, you know what? I've got my own desires, but I'm willing to let the word of God adjust my desires to reflect his desires. And it's then and only then that you will find the truth about truly knowing God personally. This is what God expects from you and me. Get into the Word of God. Hey, You know, start somewhere easy, like the Gospel of John. Put aside all of your prejudices, opinions, and misconceptions about Jesus and approach his word with an open mind, asking him to show you the truth about knowing him and being right with him. And my friend, that is a prayer that God wants to answer.